Welcome to the May 2021 podcast for the Journal of Parenteral and Enteral Nutrition. I'm Dr. Kelly Tappenden, Editor-in-Chief of JPEN, and I'm very pleased today to be able to talk to Dr. Leanne Chapel, who is a staff dietitian at the Royal Adelaide Hospital and research fellow at the University of Adelaide. We'll be discussing the paper she is first author on and published with her colleagues and called Energy of Standard versus Energy Dense Formula on Gastric Retention, Energy Delivery, and Glycemia in Critically Ill Patients. Welcome, Dr. Chapel. Thanks so much for having me, Kelly. It realizes that I need to come up with shorter titles for my papers. <laughs> I think we all we all have that problem because we want to get every little bit of detail in there, right? So just have to keep doing it that way. Uh, I really enjoyed reading this paper because when we think of critically ill patients, we know, of course, that the hypermetabolism and energy needs are often elevated and we are trying to meet those enterally. So often we do go to energy dense formulas. Now, of course, anecdotally and, and, and those practicing clinically know that the tolerance of those are, are sometimes more difficult. And there is literature to support that. Why I really liked your paper is that you looked at this just so specifically um, and really quantified that in a way that I, I, th I think adds to the literature in an important way. Can you tell us what the impetus was for you doing this work and uh, how you set it up? Yeah, sure. Um, so this work started towards the end of my PhD, so it formed part of my first postdoc. And to that point, I really hadn't done much physiological work, but my research group led by um, Professor Marianne Chapman were experts in the area. So we were really fortunate to have access to a, a gamma camera that allowed us to measure gastric emptying, so using scintigraphy. And we had um, collaborations at the University of Adelaide with med technicians that enabled that to occur. So when I had finished my PhD or towards the end, um, one of my colleagues, Palash Kar, as part of his PhD, he had done a just a retrospective study looking at two groups of patients that we'd had um, in previous studies before that had either received a standard or an energy-dense formula. And from that retrospective study, it did appear that there was sort of a, a trend towards the, the patients receiving the energy-dense formula to have slower gastric emptying which as a clinical dietitian practicing, I found really fascinating because it completely went against everything that I was taught at university and everything we did in practice. It really did develop into being quite a neat little study to look at a specific area, but something that really affects us clinically or affects the patient, I guess, um, on a regular basis. It is interesting because we would use a energy dense formula, of course, to increase energy provision. But this is this issue then is negating the benefit there, right? If if uh, we hear about your data, tell us first about your experimental design. Sure. Um, so this design, um, which I had a lot of support from a statistician, and I apologise to her if I say anything wrong, given it's 7am over in Australia at the moment, but it was a, a non-inferiority study. So it was a crossover trial where patients acted as their own control. So rather than study patients on one occasion, we decided to study the same patient twice um, with each of the two formula. The reason for that was that Patients do have very, very gastric emptying. In health, that happens, but in ICU, I think that's even more exacerbated. Anyone that works in ICU knows that 24 hours is a long time. So, you know, gastric emptying does change over time, but we decided to use the same patient for the two, two study arms. It was a blinded study as well. So 
us at the bedside and our NUCMED um, technicians that were doing the measurements had no knowledge of which formula the patient was receiving. And obviously the patient and the clinicians around didn't know as well. So I think from that point of view, it had quite a rigorous study methodology. Basically, I can go on and talk a little bit about um, how the study actually worked. So patients we recruited in ICU, obviously they were mechanically ventilated. So we received consent from the family member for the day before. And we fasted them for four hours and then the measurement involved either giving 200 mils of a standard, so one kilocal per mil enteral feed, and we delivered that nasogastrically over five minutes of the bolus. And then the following day, we provided 100 mils of the energy dense. So the volume was different, but the number of calories were the same. And which order the patients received that feed in were randomised. And then over a four-hour period, we measured gastric emptying. So to do that, we put a small radiation dose into the feed um, and then you have a piece of equipment that just hovers over the stomach region and that takes images like a camera every minute to three minutes over the four-hour study period. And then we took some other measurements as well to look at intestinal glucose absorption and gut hormones via um, some blood samples. So the imaging that you did basically looks at abundance like a, a blot would, right? It looks at the radioactivity is showing up as a signal and you look at abundance of that signal in the stomach and you can see when it's when it's moving into the duodenum. Yeah, is that right? so you get a, a, um, a nice image. The radioactive label binds to the feed. And so you can get an image of how full the stomach is. So you can see sort of the outline of the stomach, but mostly the, the radioactive label. Um, and you can see where that goes. So it's quite nice. You can actually see it at the bedside during the, the study period. You can see it moving down into the intestines and disappearing or just sitting in the stomach for those that had really delayed gastric emptying. So our images were all recorded and then sent to a nuclear medicine um, technologist who analysed all those images for how much retained in the stomach over the period. Doing them back to back was helpful because they were in, you know, close succession to each other. However, when you did your stats, was there a difference in that the second measure, regardless of which one it was, tended to be released more quickly simply because the patient might have been getting better? It's not something we've like formally looked at, but looking at the numbers and even being there on the study day, you would would have had no idea sort of which which order the formula was being given in and it didn't seem to get quicker over time. I think given the type of measurement, so the camera requires a patient to be still for four hours, and obviously that means they have to be in the unit and not having theatre or anything going on. So they are a relatively stable but sick population. So um, you can see in our demographics that there, there were a lot of neurotrauma patients, given that they were really unwell, but were able to do the measurement. I want to come back to gastric emptying in a few minutes, but first tell us about blood glucose. Uh, so what you were seeing with regarding to peak and area under the curve. Uh, and you also measured intestinal glucose absorption, which is a particular interest of mine. So, so tell us what you found there. Sure. Some of our affiliations at the University of Adelaide, um, Professor Michael Horowitz um, is an endocrinologist that is a co-author yes. on the paper. And so our group have done quite a lot of work around intestinal glucose absorption and glucose measurements overall in intensive care patients with his support. The measurement that we, we used um, is using 3-OMG, so a 3-O-methyl-D-glucopyranase. I love the name of the, the 3-OMG as a shorthand. So basically, that's a little um, marker that's not utilised by the body, so you can measure where it goes. So we provide that mixed in with the formula, um, and then you can measure that as it appears in the blood. 
So it moves through the intestines and when it appears in the blood, then you can measure that. So with the study, we could see how quickly the formula not only moved through the stomach, but then moved through the intestine and, and appeared in the plasma. So I guess it is a measurement more of total GI motility. So it's not just looking at the gastric um, motility, but also intestinal. And basically, we really showed no difference between the two groups. So we looked at an area over the curve to 120 minutes. So that was halfway through the study period, which was for the gastric emptying our primary outcome. And yeah, showed no difference between the two groups. So intestinal absorption was the same. Yeah. So feeding into the intestine may not be an issue based on your result for the different energy density formulas, but that feeding into the stomach is really where that variation occurs. Yeah. And yeah. so a jejunostomy versus a gastrostomy patient would have very different implications than based on your, right? Definitely. Yeah. And we know that um, our group, um, Marianne Chapman has done a lot of work looking at the number of patients that have delayed gastric emptying, and it's around 50%. I don't know if that's changed over time as medical therapy changes. Anecdotally, it seems to have reduced a little bit in, in my centre. But yeah, definitely feeding postpylorically can be a way of managing gastric emptying. And I think that was part of the impetus for this study in that if we're doing something that maybe physiologically doesn't make sense and it's not doing what we want it to, then we're really just stopping other strategies like postpyloric feeding or prokinetics from taking place. Right. I, that's a really important message. I want to discuss the implications of your data on something that is highly debated by the guidelines if we look internationally, and that is looking at residuals for as an indicator for enteral intolerance. Uh, and so the American guidelines, the Aspen guidelines, recommend not using residuals because that is going to be something that is going to delay enteral feeding and is not associated with a negative outcome for the patient. Other guidelines, including the Aspen guidelines, say you should be looking at residuals and not feeding if that is being shown as a marker of intolerance. What do your data add to this conversation? Yeah, I think um, this is part of the reason why we use scintigraphy in the study, um, because we know that gastric residual volumes are not necessarily an accurate measurement of how much is in the stomach, depending on where the tip of the nasogastric tube is. If it's in you know, the distal part or the proximal part of the stomach, you're going to get different amounts coming back. And I think we might not necessarily think about that too much clinically. In our centre, we do measure gastric residual volumes. We don't measure them as frequently as we used to, but I think it's hard to take it away. I think often nursing staff find that if you're taking it away, what are you, what are you looking at? Um, and we find that it's, it helps to be a reminder to think about gastrointestinal intolerance. Um, so then at that time, every eight hours, they're doing a measurement. It's something that's relatively quick and non-invasive for the patient. So it acts as a reminder for them to think about other aspects like abdominal distension or regurgitation. Yeah, I think that that's a really interesting point. You know, you say that some of these things are overlooked clinically, the, the physiology of it. I've always been a little bit astounded by the fact that there's this assumption that when gastric emptying occurs, that that or the volume that's remaining in the stomach is formula and, and just thinking about gastric emptying and really overlooking the fact that the stomach is a huge secretor, which of course is impacting that volume and has very little to do with the emptying. It, it, it seems like the physiology and that clinical practice aren't always aligned well. Yeah, definitely. And I know in our site, we don't say what, what the gastric residual looks like. Like you can do a gastric residual where it's all bile or it's complete feed. Exactly. So 
So I think that makes a, a very big difference to how you should manage the clinical care of the patient. Absolutely, I agree. Moving forward, what do you think the important next step is? You're a research fellow, what are you moving on to? <laughs> so after this study, and um, so I have gone on to do quite a lot of physiological work, probably more around protein metabolism. And I've been collaborating with a group over in the Netherlands, looking at protein digestion, absorption and utilisation, so uptake into muscle in our oh. patients. I think, I think the, the critical care story has changed a bit since we designed this study and, you know, all about calories and, and now things just seem to be more about protein. So I guess I want to add to the literature from a, a physiological point of view to help develop that story. So you're still working in critically ill patients then? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, um, so my PhD, I think I, I hadn't really worked in critical care before I started and it just happened that way. So I'd worked more on a trauma unit and would see these head injured patients come out. And so I did develop an interest in the feeding early on for those patients. I think being in the research environment I am, you can't not do ICU research. It's such a well-developed team. And you can see by the list of co-authors, it's always a bit worrying when you have almost as many co-authors as patients. But I think it talks to how difficult these types of studies are and how it really takes a massive team to, to get them to occur. So it's a nice challenge, I think. So will you be looking at tracer methodology then with your coming up service, seeing who you're collaborating with um, and interested in the <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. We were lucky enough um, to work with Professor Luke Van Loon and um, Dr. Imra Kao, who's a postdoc who's now over in our unit. And we had access to an intrinsically labelled tracer. Yeah, we've done a study, finished now, um, on the, in the process of being written up on my desk at the moment, but um, looking at um, ICU patients compared to healthy controls. So we did a study in 15 ICU patients and, and 10 healthy controls, muscle biopsies and all, all those sorts of things. Very good. We'll look forward to getting, uh, getting to read that when you, you've written it up and it's gone through peer review. Thank you. I appreciate you talking with us today. Not a problem. Thanks very much for having me. For our readers, please do go to the May 2021 edition of the Journal of Parenteral and Enteral Nutrition to read the paper that Dr. Chappell and I just discussed in detail entitled Effects of Standard versus Energy-Dense Formula on Gastric Retention, Energy Delivery, and Glycemia in Critically Ill Patients. <laughs>